Hello and welcome to our viewers on CruxInvestor.com and also to our listeners on CruxCast, our new podcast series. We're here today with Paul Athley, you're the chairman of Pensana Metals. It's a new story for some of our viewers, so Paul, if you don't mind, give us a two-minute rundown. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite, Matt. Um, it's an exciting space. It's EVs, and I think every day you open the newspaper and there's something more about EVs, whether it be Tesla or whether it be VW, or some aspect of it. So I guess for many investors, the question is, how can I invest in that space? And clearly there's Tesla, but then the mining companies have all come around and said, well, there's these things called battery metals, and we've all heard about lithium and cobalt and vanadium and all these complex chemical assemblages in the, in the anode and the cathode. But when we think about what a battery does, a battery powers an electric motor. And the, the thing that we would like to say to investors is the biggest energy transformation in history is mm. happening right now. And that energy transformation is the conversion of internal combustion engines into uh, electrification of motive power. Mm. And the way to think about it is not just cars, it's wind turbines, these are electrified. Um, Aeroplanes are now being electrified ships pumping out all this pollution from bunker diesel fuel will be electrified. So any form of motive power will be electrified. And there's two metals really that go into an electric motor. Mm. Really quite simple, you'll remember from school. There's a, there's a copper wiring and there's essentially a magnet. And a long time before you were born, when I, was, I had my first car, it used to have a starter motor that big, a big lumpy starter motor. And in that starter motor was a big lump of magnetite and an electric um, a copper, copper mm -hmm. rotor. Well, what's happened in the last 30 or 40 years, um, these rare earth magnets have come along. So instead of being a big lump of mag magnetite, they're tiny little magnets. And these are incredibly powerful. They're durable. They um, are very heat resistant. And they're moldable. You can turn them into any shape. Mm. So they're perfect for axial motors in uh, electric cars. They're perfect for uh, weight-sensitive um, areas. So the, they've now taken off. And the components of those magnets are some rare earth metals called neodymium, praseodymium, um, iron, boron, and a few other things. Mm -hmm. So essentially, essentially what we're saying is uh, neodymium, praseodymium, NDPR as we call it, are the key metals that go into the magnets that are the drivers of this energy revolution. Okay, great summary. And I do remember some of that stuff from school, but not very much of it. Tell me, it's, it strikes me that you know everyone's you know understands the EV story. You know that that that's where it's going. But you found a little niche in there. So this is particularly exciting, I think, to. A lot of investors, and I think I know you've been on a road show. Uh, well, and you continue next week, I think, on, on the road show. How is that being received? Do people understand where you sit in the EV story? Uh, the EV story, as you say, is very well understood by the journalists, and the big institutions we're talking to are coming at it from the EV angle. What interests them is when we explain that this NDPR or rare earths that people are more familiar with, mm. what they're unaware of is 87% of the world's magnets come from one country, and that's China. Mm. 
which either mines this, these rare earths, it turns it into oxides, turns it into compounds, turns it into alloys, and ultimately into magnets. Mm. So when Tesla talks to the Chinese rare earth manufacturers and the Chinese magnet suppliers and says, show me your supply chain, the supply chain is all China. Right. So what happened is the Chinese are now looking elsewhere in the world for new supplies to their processing stream so that they can say that they are diversifying. And we've seen a big move in this space because there is only one non-Chinese major rare earth producer in the world today. It's a, an Australian listed company called Linus Corporation and another West, a, a very large Australian conglomerate called West Farmers has just bid one and a half billion dollars cash mm -hmm. for this only, this only non-Chinese, uh, there was only non-Chinese uh, rare earth producer. So what the institutions we're talking to are uh, fascinated by is the strategic nat nature of rare earths. And as of this morning, the, in the conversation on the trade war between China and the US, there's a commentary in the Global Times, I'm sure you read the Chinese newspapers every day, Global Times is basically saying, we could turn off rare earths to the US, mm -hmm. and that turns off not just for EVs, but for military applications, for wind turbines, for medical applications across the board. So the response from the journalist institutions is they're fascinated by the strategic nature of somebody who can become a non-Chinese rare earth producer. A couple of thoughts there. I mean, we've talked extensively with uranium companies recently and the geopolitical nature and security issues that, that they are facing or they feel they're facing. Um, so I do understand you know, the, the standpoint that, the, that you're discussing here. The second point is... Do you feel that rare earth is now getting a, a, a hearing where it didn't? I mean, I remember financing something back in 2013, rare earth, Great Western Minerals, 100 million bucks in, in South Africa. That was a difficult race. People don't understand the nature of rare earth and the uses. Do you think because EV, EV revolution has changed people's perception or understanding? I mean, how easy is it going to be to go and raise capital? Well, it, a lot easier than it was then. An mm. example would be Fidelity have already bought 5% of us on market right. and we expect them to follow their money. Interesting. And we're getting a very big audience this week and next week from major institutions. The answer is considerably easier than you had. But there's two reasons for that. One is mm. the reason you mention it's EVs because people now understand the relevance of rare earth mm -hmm. to the EV. The second is that we're, doing, uh, we're not doing what many of the other rare earth producers are talking about potential developers are talking about is going downstream. We're simply going to produce a concentrate. We're not asking for 500 million or a billion dollars to build a rare earth oxide processing plant. Mm. And the reason we can do that is our project is located right next door to a 1.8 billion dollar railway line that goes to a 2 billion dollar port. Right. So we have the advantage of a, one of the world's largest rare earth deposits, one of the highest grades. So we're in Angola. We're in Angola, and it's right next door to um, a major railway line that's just been upgraded by the Chinese. So we're in the perfect position to become a concentrate supplier, very low capital cost, very low operating cost, to supply the Chinese rare earth processes. Right. Okay. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about all those moving parts. Tell me about the project and what your thinking is, what strategy is to develop this into you know, a much larger market cap than you've got today. 
Well, we're a 20 million Australian dollar market cap company at the moment, and we've got probably the best rare earth project on the planet today. So the question you're asking me is how we're going to fund it from where we are today into, into reality. And it's relatively straightforward because the advantage of being a construct producer is the capital cost is considerably lower. Mm-hmm. It's not $500 million. So explain that to people who might be thinking conventional about conventional mining. So what does it involve? In my personal view, if you have infrastructure, it translates the capital investment down from, say, half a billion to closer to 100 million. And as you and I know, 100 million capital raised, 100 million funding is bite size. You can go to one provider, somebody will provide you with $100 million. The moment you're more than that, in several hundred million dollars, you're dealing with a syndicate, you're dealing with all sorts of complications about being able to fund it. So one is the funding is bite size mm-hmm. as a single entity. And secondly is we've got fantastic margins. You know, a, a bulk concentrate of rare earths to China is considerably, orders of magnitude, more profitable yep. than, say, a lithium um, concentrate or other concentrates into China. Right. So, so our margins are very, very high. Our capital cost is low. So we have the opportunity now to, and we're, we've made it clear, we've announced, we're bringing the company to London to in, in the autumn. Right, so you're listening, great. And um, we have caught the imagination of the bigger institutions. and. We think that the combination of a very relatively low capital cost, big institutions, that combination will be relatively easy to turn into a funding to take us through to production. Right, okay. You're talking to large institutions. That's where you see the ability to quickly raise a large chunk of change. Sure. Because, you know, you, you want to move this project forward. But where, where does the retail high net worth family office sit in this? Is this an audience that you're talking to? They can, they can buy the stock freely in Australia today. The, right. the, the stock is um, well articulated in, in the presentation that's on the website. Right. Um, as per our conversation today, uh, I guess if they bought the stock now, they're getting in ahead of the institutions, I would say. Right. Okay. 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 So let's talk about what, what this process is. Okay. Like I said, the question was, you know, conventional mining, you understand, people understand that you're, you're trying to find stuff under the ground. So you're talking about the con- concentrate, which is high margin when times are good. To, to, explain, to explain how to visualize it, Correct. this is a carbonatite, which no one outside geology knows what that means, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, basically, all it is is a, is a weathered pipe of mineralization, and the, it leaves a blanket of mineralization on the surface mm-hmm. that's deeply wet. What weathered means, it's basically broken down, there's slightly acidic rainfall, breaks down the, the uh, fabric of the mineralization so it becomes relatively soft mm-hmm. and more accessible. That top 50 to 60 meters is mm-hmm. our ore body. It's okay. a blanket. So there's no big mining, it's just stripping off the surface. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is the actual process we're going through is the grade of the ore in NDPR is 0.85%, and we're going to upgrade that to around 6%. Right, okay. So, and I'll give you an example, for those of you who are familiar with lithium, yep. and a lithium spodumene miner, there's a hard rock lithium miner, would have a lithium ore body grading around 1.5% lithium, mm-hmm. upgrading to a 6% concentrate. We're going from 0.85 to 6, so it's similar. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that their concentrate when it arrives in China is worth less than $1,000 a tonne. Our concentrate when it goes to China is worth more than $2,000 a tonne. 
So considerably more profitable than, and I'm only using lithium as an example because people are familiar with it, but it's the same for copper, same for right. zinc. So basically, we're a very high value concentrate of a very low cost base. Does that, I mean, does the price, is it erratic? Is it fairly steady? What's it look like for the last five years? Um, last five years, the rare earth prices have collapsed. They're very, right. very low. So right. all the numbers are low base. giving okay. off, off the low base. But mm -hmm. when they ran last time, the rare earth prices went up 10 times. So they've got this capacity. So, so in your language, as a, as a banker or financier, it's highly asymmetric. Mm -hmm. But I'm not suggesting investors buy the stock because I'm not sitting saying to you, NDBR prices are going to go up. I'm simply saying right now, the economics look really, really good today. That, okay, that's, that's a great point to make. So from a, from a low base, the economics still work because you've got a low ASIC, I guess people would understand, and high margins at the moment. So even if there's a fluctuation in the price, you're still making money. Yes. Okay. What have you got today? What What have you spent money on? What have you done? So what, what do you know? So what we've done is we've done um, two three rounds of drilling, and the drilling has brought us up to what's called an inferred resource. Mm -hmm. We've now just completed a diamond drilling program. And the mm -hmm. diamond drilling program is an infill program mm -hmm. that will take part of the resource from inferred resources mm -hmm. to what's called measured and indicated. A measured and indicated um, resource, along with one other main thing, which is these diamond drill core is all being aggregated and put into separate samples, be sent to Australia and tested. They'll form the metallurgical test work basis for the process route. You put those two things together, and it's the, it's the basis of the process route design, the plant design for the PFS. That PFS is due to be being prepared by the Wood Group, which yep. many of the investors in the UK will know. That will come be in a study presented to the market in September. Okay. So all those numbers I'm talking about, the capital cost, the operating cost, the margin, metallurgical process route, all of those numbers come together, third party validation for PFS, following which we will then come to market at say dual listing essentially an IPO. Similar time. Okay, interesting. Okay, so you, you're, going, you're going through a process, fairly early, early days. How much money have you um, raised to date and what have you spent that on? On this, in the most recent times, we raised five and a half million dollars, Australian dollars, the middle of last year. Right. We, we've spent most of that. Yeah. And uh, we're now um, looking to finalise the study and then, as I say, come to market with uh, essentially an IPO in the autumn. And how are you going to split between uh, ASX and is it LSE or AIM? Okay. It'll be a standard listing on right, LSE. Okay. That's, right. that's to be decided. We have announced we're coming. Yeah. The, 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 the methodology and the final arrangements have not been decided yet, but we're definitely coming to a standard listing. Okay. Okay, that's that, that's great. So, I mean, tell us tell us a little bit about um, the the technical team on board. Because you've got well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just I'm just I'm just guessing you're not. Uh, I'm just <laughs> I, I am actually I'm a, I'm a mining engineer. Right. Okay. I have oh, my, I have I my, career, my career oh, my career in the industry. I started as a handheld mine, underground miner, ship boss foreman. Oh, very good. So I've come oh, all the way through. You but this isn't about me. I'm just. You sound chair. like a banker. Well, I spend a bit of time working in the banking industry as well. Okay. No, my, um, we, we, it's great. We've just employed um, a mining engineer by the name of Tim George. Right. He's, uh, he's our CEO. He's ex-Anglo-American. Mm -hmm. He's been based in Africa for many years. He's worked in Angola before. And he's the guy driving all the technical stuff. And next time you speak to the company, you'll speak to 
speak to Tim, Tim and he'll give you much more detail about the technical aspects. Okay, okay, fantastic, fantastic. And you've got a few other names on here, um, David, Mark and Neil. Well, Dave Hammond um, comes from Peak Resources. Peak Resources yeah. have got this fantastic um, rare earth project in, in Tanzania. Now, Tanzania is yeah. going a bit slowly at the moment because yeah. of government issues, but mm. a great project, great mm. team. Dave has joined us and he's a bit of a rare earth specialist. And right. he's very, very enthusiastic about our project. And he's, not, he's an active member of the team, or is he? He's fully active. He, right, okay. He's been living in a tent um, right. in Angola next to the project for the right. last month and a half. Right. finishing off the diamond program so he lives and breathes it loves it um and very very enthusiastic about <laughs> it but the other two directors you're indicating is mark honany and uh, neil mclaughlin they've they've they're, they're serial offenders if you like in right. terms of turning junior companies into very large amounts of money well some pretty big numbers here so they turn sort of kalahari into about yeah. the same size we are today into basically a billion dollar company mm -hmm. and really this is what we look at in our sectors you know we you come in at the high risk end and if you we, the way we think about it is that five and a half million raise last year was the high risk raise mm. if we'd have drilled the ore body and it wasn't there mm. that goes to zero but he didn't. It's come up, and it's come up really well. It's come up to be one of the biggest oil bodies in the world, and one of the highest grade. So now this next raise is slightly less, less risky. Mm. It takes us through more complex things, things like the metallurgical process route, things like the capital and operating costs, all of those. And so that by the time we get to the IPO, it's had sort of two rounds of de-risking, and then you start looking at it, and then you can start looking at it in terms of well, what's its valuation look like, and yeah. what more capital do you need to bring that into production, and maybe even start thinking about what the cash flows look like. So it's that de-risking steps that we go through, and each stage you go from sort of twenty million to a higher value to a higher value going forward. Sure. The usual thing. And again, while we're on the team, tell me a bit about you because you looking at your description here, it's kind of interesting. And unusual. Um, well, I've, I've got a background in, I am a mining engineer. I mm. was a hard rock miner. I, um, I competed in the Queensland Rock Drilling Championships finalists. Uh, um, the Queensland? I, I, work, I worked underground in a mine called Mount Isa in, in, yeah. in Australia. Yeah. And I worked my way up sort of mining in the air, ship boss, foreman, mine manager. Then I managed a few gold mines. And then I made the transition into investment banking. I went in as a junior as an investment banker, mm. and then up as an executive director of HSBC in the resources mm. sector, and then realized I was on the wrong side of the table um, from people like you. You know, I, I wanted to be the one raising the money rather mm. than the one providing the money. Mm. So um, raising capital, doing what I do now with mining people is, is, my, is my day job. And, I, and what else are you involved with? I'm currently CEO of Barclay Energy, right. and we've been hugely successful yeah. in uh, taking another junior company and yeah. funding it. It's a $120 million funding with uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund, bringing that um, asset to ready to go. Obviously, we've got some uh, challenges with a change of Spanish government, which we'll we had to happens. live with. Yeah. But yeah. that was a classic pathway. It was a, a junior company that that with a great team in Spain and a great team around me, we took it through the stages I've just described. And mm. we attracted that tranche of capital that I'm talking about, the $120 million. Mm. And shareholders who came in three years ago, uh, you know, saw that company, despite the uranium price falling from $48 a pound to, to $17.50 a pound to 12 year lows, 
we went up five times mm. um, and people made an awful lot of money in that three-year run. Yeah. And obviously yeah. it comes back now because we've got this delay with um, the externalities. The externalities are politics. But the value, has, we've got a hundred million dollars, Barclay has a hundred million uh, Australian dollars in the bank yeah. and a very, very good, good asset. So yeah. the externalities affect you, but the actual internal uh, aspects of the company, the value is still there. All I'm saying to you and potential mm. investors in Pensana, this pathway that, that Mark Honer, Neil McLaughlin, myself and others have been on, it's very clear. You know, for me, we only want to be in, in projects that work. Mm. And for me, it's about nobody, infrastructure, power, water, all those boring all the, things. All the usual stuff that and you if need. That, and if that works, if that's there, mm. then okay, you're subject to uh, market prices of the commodity, currency, uh, permitting, well, yeah. approval. You're subject to those externalities that you can't control. Absolutely. You can do your best. But from, from an investment perspective, the, 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 the project itself looks very, very good. No, it does. And, and you know, I know, we deliberately haven't today talked about too much about the, the, the asset, the, te the technology, the team, etc. because you, you, you tell that story well in the marketplace. I'm interested, and I'm assuming that what you say is true, and therefore you're going to be able to deliver this from a technical perspective. From a well, we'll all, we'll all know in September. Exactly. We've got one of the world's biggest engineering groups doing the study. So, exactly. And so exactly. there's risk between now and then that right. some of the um, emphasis I'm putting on it may change, but yeah. it might go better. It might go, but yeah. broadly, you're relying on our team's experience to say, this, this is what it looks like today. Exactly. And you've got a team who've done that before. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that, that's the comforting factor. So. Then it comes down to, is the story that you're telling with regards to where you fit in the EV story going to you know, work? I mean, how big is that space? How big is that market that you're going for? Do you represent 1% of it or 50% of it? Okay, broadly, mm. because we're only producing concentrate, we're not producing a metal or a magnet or an mm. oxide, we're the only supplier of independent. We, we're looking to be the only independent supplier of rare earth concentrates outside of China. Outside of China. Now, okay, there are some small. Well, that's producers. a small market, right? Well, it's a unique market, and yeah. what the uniqueness of it means that we are we think we'll be able to command premiums mm. because the Chinese need to diversify. Why? Tell me that. I, I get the need to diversify, that, that, that you should always do that. Well, it was a mitigating risk, but it's, it's an unusual step for the Chinese. Well, no, no, it's, 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 not a, it's not so much a mitigating step, it's what Tesla have been public on. Right. Te Tesla are concerned about the underlying supply chain for things like magnets and things like cobalt. And so they look at, if they buy magnets from the Chinese, they look at the supply chain. If the supply, but then, but then, if the supply chain is all China, it's not as good as if the supply chain is geographically diversified. Right. So hence, if we can be a concentrate supplier to the Chinese rare earth processors, that's attractive to them for diversification reasons. That's one area. The other right. area is, although the Chinese are 87% of the market, there's another 13% mm. of the market, we can go there as well. And what is this market size? Um, it's about 160,000 tonnes of... Um, uh, concentrate per year. Um, What's that in dollars? It's about three billion US. Okay, it's not huge. Not huge. Not, not very huge. niche. Okay. Very niche. And so, but really, what's going to happen is somebody, and already, as you're probably aware, other companies are looking at this. Mm. 
people are a little bit wary about having all the rare earth processing and magnet production in China and small amounts in Japan. Right. So right now, there are plans to look at building processing facilities in the UK right. and also in the US. So right. as an independent concentrate supplier, we are aiming to supply not just the Chinese market, but also potentially UK, US and, every, and anywhere else. Right. And just talking about China, that Chinese connection, does that negate you raising money from Chinese companies? Yes, we said we don't need any money from China. We're very, very confident of raising money here. Right. We've had a number of people, we've got a list of people approached us already. Right. And said, look, post PFS, we're very keen to okay. give you money. Yeah. And it makes absolute sense to to not take money from the Chinese. It keeps that independent. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I, I, I guess just to understand the Tesla impact. Now they were kind of first to market, you know, thought leaders and a very vocal ex-CEO. I guess now. Um, why did they? Why does their voice still resonate in the marketplace in terms of telling the Chinese what they should and shouldn't do? They use it as a proxy. I mean, when, when the Chinese say Tesla, they really mean all the auto manufacturers. Right. So they're just saying Tesla because I know who they mean. Right. But obviously, they've got the domestic suppliers and exactly. the external suppliers. So I, I, I just use Tesla as a proxy for the auto okay. industry because okay. they are the thought leaders, as you say, and they're very noisy. <laughs> They are, they are, and um, but but you know they they've led the charge, and I think they've done it extremely well. So to finish off, tell me why you think investors should be interested in your story now, um, well, and also when you come to London. When Fidelity saw the story, they said we want ten percent of your stock. They bought five percent on market, and when they were asked why they bought it, it was because they thought it was a twenty bagger. That is all you need to say. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.